I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. Take a moment and Google July 1969, and what comes up? Over 7 million entries, most of which are related to the first landing on the moon by the crew of Apollo 11. Armstrong is on the moon. Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American, standing on the surface of the moon on this July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man. On July 20th, 1969, NASA completed President John F. Kennedy's dream of landing a man on the moon and just a few days later returned them safely to Earth. In that one fleeting moment, billions of people on Earth stopped and became one. One people standing in awe at what humans could do if they put their minds to it. But beneath the headlines, beneath the technical wizardry that made that event a reality, the Earth seemed to be spinning off its axis. Wars raged on. Protesters filled the streets, standing in unison demanding equal rights, protection of the environment, and ending the Vietnam War. It was a month when pop culture was dramatically changing who we were then and who we are now. And now for something completely different. Monty Python's a flying <laughs> This is July 1969, the month when everyone had gone to the moon. I'm Joe Kuhai. Episode 5, We Will Return. As July 1969 was coming to a close, Americans were taking in the sounds of Zegger and Evans and their number one song, In the Year 2525. The song was an incredibly huge one hit for the duo that paints a dismal picture of mankind's future. The number one movie the final week of July 1969 was Easy Rider. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. This used to be a hell of a good country. I don't understand what's going on with it. And on television, if Americans were not outside enjoying the hot summer, they were taking in a few reruns and a couple of brand new TV shows. We got the steam up, you put the dream up, Three rivers calling you, listen to my friend, follow the river, that mighty river, there's real adventure from every man. Two American scientists are lost. 
in a swirling maze of past and future ages during the first experiments on America's greatest and most secret project, the Time Tunnel. Also that final week of July, one of the most popular and consistent television shows of the 60s, The Ed Sullivan Show, featured singer Vicki Carr, comedian Henning Youngman, and the Hal Greco dancers. While only a few weeks after a horrific car crash that saw his wife Yoko, son Julian, and Yoko's daughter Kyoko in the hospital, and only three weeks after the release of what would become an anthem for the anti-war movement, Give Peace a Chance, John Lennon and Yoko Ono did an interview that appeared on the local PBS channel in New York City. Are you saying that drugs are passe? Yeah, you know, people that take <clears throat> drugs, I mean, when I talk about drugs, I mean hard stuff like speed and the things that the kids are getting into now. <clears throat> it means they've got no hope. The only mm -hmm. time I ever took drugs was when I had no hope. And when you're on drugs, it's harder to find hope. And you've got to have hope. And if we can give people hope, then they won't need drugs. Meanwhile, in Houston, Texas, after a successful splashdown on July 24th, a crowd of 5,000 assembled outside the Manned Space Flight Center at 1 a.m. to welcome home the crew of Apollo 11. The crew was sequestered away in an aluminum trailer that protected the world from possible moon bacteria the crew might have inadvertently brought back with them. From the trailer, the crew made brief comments to the press. It's probably the warmest welcome that any man or group of men have ever witnessed. I'm sorry that we got delivered to you in a box. For the next two weeks, the astronauts would stay in a specially designed building, the Lunar Receiving Lab, to ensure that there was no lunar contamination of the Earth. With the success of Apollo 11, NASA announced that there would be an additional nine moon landings. But years earlier, the dreams of continued lunar exploration were throttled. Years earlier, in 1966, President Johnson's own director of the Bureau of the Budget, Charles Schultz, sent a memo to the president requesting that NASA funding be cut and the moon landings be pushed back to the 1970s so that all of the president's great society programs could be funded. Johnson refused to budge on the issue. After all, that would mean that the country would not be President Kennedy's goal of landing a man on the moon before the end of the decade. The following year, Schultz sent one more memo to the president urging him to make cuts in the program. Only this time, Johnson reluctantly agreed, but under the condition that those cuts would only take effect after the Apollo program had ended. The end result was that the announced nine additional Apollo missions would be scaled back to only six more flights. As lawmakers turned away from the moon, so did the public. The events of July 1969, the Vietnam War, racism, poverty, they were all consuming, and more and more Americans lost interest in space, and their gaze turned from the heavens back towards Earth and the seemingly insurmountable social and world issues that the human race was facing. As the first man to walk on the moon, Neil Armstrong lamented, quote, I had hoped the impact of Apollo 11 would be more far-reaching. We all seem to be sort of tied up with today's problems. Those cutbacks by Congress meant only one thing for NASA contractors and personnel. There was a looming fear that they would be losing their jobs. One year after Apollo 11, several thousand NASA employees and contractors had been laid off. 
So many that astronauts on later Apollo missions began voicing their concerns that low morale was pervading the space agency's workers, which could jeopardize astronaut safety. America's first man in space and Apollo 14 commander Alan Shepard feared that with a possible job loss looming over their heads, workers might say, well, maybe I won't be working here tomorrow, so why should I worry about that little screw I just dropped down into a crack? Shepard's Apollo 14 crewmate, Commander Edgar Mitchell, stressed that NASA had to impress upon those that were worried about their jobs that the astronauts were still counting on them. While unemployment was a real possibility, the workers at all NASA facilities were dedicated to the mission and never shirked once on their responsibilities. Here's Lunar Module test pilot Scott McLeod. The thing I was really amazed about is the engineers and all the people that worked down at the Cape. They knew that on Apollo 16 that the next one would be the last and then bang, that'd be the end, that'd be the edge of the cliff. Everybody would be fired because there's no reason to be there anymore. <clears throat> and yet with all of that knowledge, everybody there kept right on working to the last minute. There was no sabotage saying, I'll fix those guys. Mm-hmm. And I was just amazed that nothing happened. Uh, I mean, we had a good security department, but still, there's so many things you can do to foul up the system. The towns of Cocoa Beach and Titusville near Cape Kennedy, once thriving space tourist meccas, were also feeling the impact of the cutbacks. Storefronts went vacant with giant for rent signs replacing sales banners in their windows. Hundreds of houses that once rang with the excitement of family life and the knowledge that these families were blazing new trails for America went silent and stood vacant. Shirley Wildermuth, a NASA contractor with the Bendix Corporation, was one of the lucky ones who retained her job, but recalls what the towns near Cape Kennedy looked like during those lean times. It was, uh, uh, it was almost like a ghost town. Uh, they had a, a little paper that was put out, and they probably still do, the KSC News or the Bulletin or whatever you call it, and you could pick it up and you could, uh, all the houses that were for sale. I remember calling one house that was down by BCC in Coco and asking the guy uh, how much he wanted for his house, and he said, you come over tonight and... I will sign it over to you because I'm going to be gone in the morning. So this was a common occurrence. You could pick up any house, any place, for nothing down and just start paying them, making the, the payments. But most people were afraid to do this because you didn't know how long your job would last. After we got to the, to the moon and returned, there was nothing else there. And it was like uh, a ghost town. In the end, five of the six remaining Apollo missions were successful. The one exception was the aborted Apollo 13 mission, which in its own right was a success. With the exception of Apollo 13, the last Apollo flights went virtually unnoticed by the public. The Apollo program came to an end on December 7, 1972, as Commander Gene Cernan and Lunar Module Pilot Harrison Schmidt lifted off from the moon during the flight of Apollo 17. And as we leave the moon and Taurus Littrell, we leave as we came, and God willing, as we shall return, with peace and in hope. 
slow mankind. Godspeed the crew of Apollo 17. On behalf of all the men and women across our great nation who have worked to bring this hardware together to make this day possible, at this time I give you a go to resume count and launch Artemis 1. Four stage engines start. Three, two, one. Boosters and ignition. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Showed the Space Coast tonight. What a beautiful view it is. The first step in returning our country to the moon and on to Mars. It would take the world over 40 years to begin the process of returning to the moon with the launch of NASA's Artemis 1, the largest rocket system ever built, being successfully tested and man rated in November 2022. The first manned crew aboard Artemis II will orbit the moon in 2024, much like Apollo 8 did in 1968. And if that flight's successful, Gene Cernan's wish to return to the moon will be granted. And now a footnote to history. Additional headlines from the final week of July 1969 that floated under the radar while Apollo 11 grabbed the headlines. You know, it's one thing to pilfer a payphone and grab the change out of it, but to dismantle public telephones for the electronics to build a guitar? <laughs> That's a different story, but it's true. On July 30th, 1969, in a Russian weekly newspaper, it was reported that the youth in Moscow, Russia, had dismantled tens of thousands of public telephones to convert their acoustic guitars into electric guitars. Apparently, the crimes were set off by an article that appeared in an unidentified magazine describing how you could dismantle three telephone booths and use the wiring and receivers to upgrade your guitar. And finally, in the early days of July 1969, Mrs. Sybil Stockdale stood alone in the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C. after a futile attempt to meet with congressmen and senators to urge them to do more to bring home the country's prisoners of war from Vietnam. She was only able to meet with one congressional aide during her visit. With no results, on July 30th, Mrs. Stockdale began organizing the wives and families of some 1,300 prisoners of war in what was one of the first organizations to advocate for the soldiers' quick release and return home. It was unclear if their efforts proved helpful in the release of the prisoners, but in February 1973, after diplomatic negotiations between the U.S. and North Vietnam, the first POWs were returned to the U.S. in what was called Operation Homecoming. I'm Joe Kuhai, and thank you for joining me for Everyone's Gone to the Moon. My thanks go out this week to NASA, NBC News, the American Space Museum, and the Canadian Broadcasting Company for clips heard in today's episode. You can learn more about the events and the pop culture that shaped our world in my new book published by Prometheus Books, Everyone's Gone to the Moon, July 1969, Life on Earth, and the Epic Voyage of Apollo 11. It's available now at your favorite local bookstore or online retailer. If you like this episode, then please share it with a friend. You can view clips from today's episode, learn more about the book, my other titles, and drop me a line by visiting my website, joe-kuhai.com. That's spelled C-U-H-A-J. Thank you for listening.